It's Tuesday, February 4th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. A day after the Iowa Democratic Caucus, we're told results are just about to come in. But the damage from a historic vote counting fail is already being felt, and Iowa could be the biggest loser. Then President Trump's impeachment trial will likely end tomorrow with an acquittal. But now, Democrats are floating a new idea. What about censuring him? We'll explain. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by Uber. Elections normally have winners and losers, but they're usually candidates. As for last night, not so much. This is an epic failure by the Iowa State Democratic Party. That was part of a middle-of-the-night rant by CNN's Chris Cuomo after Iowa's Democratic Party completely dropped the ball on the vote count at yesterday's Iowa caucus. And it made our 2020 Tuesday much more dramatic than we originally expected. After more than a year of candidates campaigning in the Hawkeye State, people were tuning in to see the first results of the 2020 election year. Voting started in Iowa at 7 p.m. local time, and early results were expected to start coming out pretty fast. But last night, 9 p.m. passed with basically nothing. Then 10 p.m., 11, and midnight. And we really hope none of you stayed up later because by sunrise, there was still nothing. Today, Iowa's Democratic Party finally said, we'll start releasing results at 5 p.m. That's when we release the show, so we don't know who's going to come out on top. And as we'll get to later, it might be a little late for the results to matter all that much. But first, what exactly went wrong here? Last year, Iowa's Democratic Party tried to speed up the process of counting results from more than 1,600 caucus locations by creating an app. Cool, cool. A total millennial instinct. The party reportedly paid more than $60,000 for software to let caucus organizers submit their local results on their phones. But in recent weeks, people started getting worried about the app and asked the Iowa Democratic Party for some more info. But the party held off because they were worried that that info could help hackers. They wouldn't even say the name of the company that made the app. And now we're learning that the company it hired is called Shadow. Shady, right? The Iowa Democratic Party says the app had a coding issue, though they've said it definitely was not caused by any sort of hack. And it turns out the party did have a fallback plan in case the app went down. It involved caucus organizers calling a secure telephone number and reading out their results, which is actually how this process used to work. But remember, what went down last night is being described as a historic fail. Because, of course, the phone system didn't work either. One caucus organizer told CNN he'd been on hold for over an hour. The app, by all accounts, just, like, doesn't work. So we've been recommended to call into the hotline, and the hotline has not been responsive. Des Moines, we have a problem. So with no results to react to, what did the 2020 candidates have to say about all of this? Most of them took it pretty well and went on stage to announce, we did it, what a great night, even if they didn't have much to show for it. Well, it looks like it's going to be a long night, but I'm feeling good. We are going on to New Hampshire victorious. We are punching above our weight. I have a good feeling we're going to be doing very, very well here in Iowa. Now, the candidates have moved on to New Hampshire, which holds its presidential primary next week. And they're all claiming they've got the momentum. But that alone has kind of thrown the election into question. 
Iowa's been criticized for years for having too much power in the election process, especially since its mostly rural and mostly white population doesn't really represent the rest of the country. But even still, people were hoping that the Iowa caucus results would finally help narrow down a crowded presidential field. At the very least, it would separate the maybe winners from the definitely not gonna be winners. This year, well, not exactly. Lisa Parshall is a political science professor at Damon College and author of the book, Reforming the Presidential Nominating Process. You have five candidates proclaiming victory and already moving on to New Hampshire. After months and even years of investment in the state of Iowa, they leave without that momentum, that bounce, and more importantly, the free media that they get from being able to be declared the winner. At this point, even when the results are announced today, it feels like it's already in our rearview mirror. For a candidate like Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, who looked to be doing really well last night, not getting to declare a big victory in Iowa could deny him the momentum he was counting on. And for a candidate like former VP Joe Biden, who was reportedly having a bit of a rougher Iowa caucus night, a delayed result could be just what he wanted. The vote counting mess could also impact whether Iowa will get to vote first again. For a long time, Iowa fought to keep its first in the nation status. Sure, there are problems, like when Mitt Romney was declared the winner of the 2012 Republican caucus, only for the party to admit a few weeks later, actually, Rick Santorum won. That's awkward. Then in 2016, there was more trouble when both Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders complained about a flawed voting process. But now, those criticisms are back and louder than ever before. In fact, a lot of pundits are saying this caucus should be Iowa's last. And the slightly bizarre, old-fashioned way people vote in Iowa just looks downright flawed. Well, I think that this incident, this debacle, has really lessened the mystique of the Iowa caucuses. And finally, even though the drama last night might seem just like an Iowa problem or a problem for Democrats, it could be a bad sign of what's to come in a heated election year, when some people already have questions about whether their votes matter. President Trump's 2020 campaign manager has already claimed Iowa Democrats tried to rig the caucus. And the president's two eldest sons echoed that claim on Twitter, even though they provided no evidence to back it up. Meanwhile, Biden's deputy campaign manager said that what happened in Iowa raises, quote, real concerns about the integrity of the process and should give voters pause. So it's safe to say that the election season is off to a bumpy start. For more on all things 2020, head on over to theskim.com slash 2020. Next time you need a ride, try Uber. They're committed to safety. All drivers are background checked and rescreened every year. Riders and drivers have access to an emergency button in the app that connects them to 911. Plus, Uber introduced a brand new feature called Ride Check. Using GPS, RideCheck can detect if a trip goes off course and checks in to provide support. RideCheck is just one of the ways Uber is committed to safety. Learn more at uber.com safety. That's uber.com safety. After months of talking impeachment, the Senate is expected to vote tomorrow to acquit President Trump of two impeachment charges. But now, a new idea is being floated by Democrats in Congress that if they can't convict Trump of abuse of power and obstruction of Congress and remove him from office, maybe they can do something else. I do believe a bipartisan majority of this body would vote to censure President Trump for his actions in this manner. 
That was West Virginia's Democratic Senator Joe Manchin on the Senate floor yesterday, introducing the idea of censuring the president. Censure would allow this body to unite across party lines and as an equal branch of government to formally denounce the president's actions and hold him accountable. So let's back up for a second and explain what a censure is. And just to be clear, it's totally different than to censor something, like top secret info. Anyway, unlike impeachment, censure isn't laid out in the Constitution. But the idea is that elected officials can say, on the record, what the president did wasn't okay. And we don't approve. Impeachment is like the ultimate censure, with the ultimate punishment of removing the president from office. Voting to censure the president doesn't come with a set punishment, but it would leave a mark on Trump's permanent record. Only one other president has been censured by the Senate, President Andrew Jackson. In 1834, he was censured over drama with the Bank of the United States. It's a long story, but the censure was later expunged from his record. So, not so permanent after all. Censure has been floated for many other presidents, including for Trump last spring after the revelations from special counsel Robert Mueller's report. But the idea never really gained traction. In fact, at the time, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi explicitly ruled it out. I think censure is just a, a way out. If you're going to go, you got to go. In other words, if the, if the goods are there, you must impeach. But now it's found its way back into the conversation, likely in response to some of the Republican senators who have said that what Trump did was wrong, but not bad enough to require impeachment. Maryland's former Democratic representative Donna Edwards told MSNBC yesterday that a move to censor Trump could give those senators an out. I think that this could provide a way for them to rebuke the behavior uh, even as they vote for acquittal. So this option to censure Trump is now being talked about all over D.C. But whether or not senators actually make that vote is still TBD. Tonight, President Trump is taking a stroll down Pennsylvania Avenue to visit Congress. And for the third time in his presidency, he's going to play the highlight reel of his last year in office. Yep, it's time for the annual State of the Union address. While we're watching at home, Trump will be speaking to a crowded room of Congress people, senators, Supreme Court justices, members of his cabinet, and all their guests. The White House has announced a group of people who will be seated in the balcony during the speech. And those guests can give us some insight into the priorities on Trump's agenda. Like last year when he invited Alice Johnson. He had recently commuted her life sentence for a nonviolent drug offense. Inspired by stories like Alice's, my administration worked closely with members of both parties to sign the First Step Act into law. So who's on the guest list tonight? One is a man named Jody Jones. His brother was shot and killed a little over a year ago by an immigrant who came to the U.S. without documentation. Trump will probably point to Jones when he talks about his plans to secure the U.S.-Mexico border. Another guest is a man named Tony Rankins. He's a veteran from the war in Afghanistan who was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Rankins was homeless, had a drug addiction, and served time in prison. But now he's back to work and in recovery. Trump might point to him when he talks about helping vets or how he's invested in lower-income areas. As for the other big issues on the table, we're watching to see what Trump might say about the 2020 election and the impeachment trial. 
and also what he's thinking about when it comes to the economy, foreign trade, Iran, and much more. He's gonna try to cram a lot of accomplishments in, so expect it to be a long speech. It starts just after 9 p.m. Eastern on all the major news channels, and you can find it streaming online. For a recap of the highlights, be sure to check out the Daily Skim newsletter tomorrow morning. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from the Galapagos Islands. You might remember Lonesome George, the last Galapagos tortoise of his subspecies who died at over 100 years old. Well, eight years later, it might be time to rethink the extinction. Turns out, Lonesome George might not have been so alone. Conservationists have discovered a young female tortoise that is a direct descendant of the same species as George. And there may be even more tortoise cousins in the region. The president of the Galapagos Conservancy has called this a story of hope. But as all things with tortoises go, repopulating the subspecies will likely move very slowly. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to add the Skim to your morning routine, sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.